Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 68. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the second episode of season four, What Was Lost Part One, Sacrifice. Let's get started. Welcome back. Elac and her dying pilot take what's left of the crew to an archaeological dig where Jewel said she'd be. While John and Chiana only want to get off the planet and find the rest of the crew, a deeper mystery evolves with the old woman insisting that there are evil forces at play, Jewel and Dargo starting a relationship, and a creature from the Black Lagoon in the background. We get our second round of crew reunions in this episode, and it's the first of a two-parter. And it sets up some really important world building that we'll definitely talk about in this episode and then further on down the season. So unfortunately for this episode, the plot is really confusing. I don't know about you, but I was like, wait, what? Because I always remember this episode and I never remember what the plot arc is. I remember the important elements that come out of it, but never what actually happens. Because it's a lot of talking, it's a lot of characters, it's a lot of new things, and it's a lot of confusing exposition because the old woman is giving like half the exposition and she is sometimes really hard to follow because she's a bit you know out to lunch Mm -hmm. and the other thing that this episode does which i don't think i've ever seen before in a show and i only noticed it on this watch because we've been watching every episode but in the previouslys we learned that bracca has defected to graze's side and then been promoted to captain and betrayed scorpius and these are scenes that i looked it up that actually never made it into Crichton kicks they were cut for time but they included them in the previouslys so that you would understand what was going on with bracca and graza and scorpius because all that dynamic has now shifted where graza is in the power seat Yes, those previouslys were super confusing because my husband and I were watching this episode together and like both of us were like, what? Like, and we were trying to figure out like, maybe there was like an episode that we missed or like maybe it was out of order like season one. But I looked it up too. And it was just like, apparently it just never made it into the original air. And I think that part of the problem with the previouslys is that they didn't even air like the entire conversation. Like they just air like a very short clip of it. And you're supposed to draw a lot of conclusions from that. One of the clips is Braca telling Greza, of course, I would kill like I and you have to assume he's talking about Scorpius because I think she's asked him. My inference was that she asked him like, well, I'm more powerful than Scorpius because she's higher up the chain of command than Scorpius is like, will you essentially side with me over Scorpius? And he's like, yeah, I totally will. I would kill, I would even kill you if somebody higher up the chain of command than you (laughs) came. And then she's like, yes, that's what all of your psyche valves say. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, accurate. And then the other one, like the other clip that was like super confusing is like Bracca showing down with Scorpius, where essentially like Scorpius tries to command him and, you know, and Bracca's mm-hmm. like, well, you don't even have a ship anymore. And it's because now Bracca is captain. So now Bracca has his own ship. And so, yes, confusing <laughs> as all get out. 
And I wish that they just aired it in Crichton Kicks. I understand why they didn't, because I yeah, don't think it would have added anything to Crichton Kicks. Yeah, I think it's what makes Crichton Kicks such a strong, fun episode. I mean, or solid, fun episode is that it doesn't have any extra fat. And this would have been extra fat for the sake of the following episode. So I mm-hmm. get it. Like, it's that's totally fine. And it's not that it... It bothered me, bothered me. It's just, it's just like, oh, here, by the way, you have to catch up on all this stuff that happened off screen that we're not going to show you. And here we are now with Greza in charge, Bracca as our henchman, and Scorpius now being the one tortured. Mm-hmm. So it's just like this whole, whole shifting of the villain, villains, villains mm-hmm. cycle. I want to say there's like the cadre of villains or something. Anyway, the whole villain situation has shifted. Yeah, I actually almost wish they hadn't given us those previouslys, and this is why. I think that what Farscape does really well is it's, like, such a narrowly focused TV show. Do you know what I mean? That, like, we don't know what Scorpius did for, like, most of season three when we didn't see him. You know, we can make assumptions, but, like, we don't know. And things that are kind of outside of our – outside of what we see on screen, we see the consequences of them – Like, for example, we saw the consequences of what happened to Aaron's mother in Mm -hmm. between in between relativity and in between the choice. Like we saw that something happened and we saw what the consequences were, but we didn't need, you know, periodical flashes to what was going on in her life. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I feel here. Like if we had because I on my original watch through. I think for me, it was just very startling to have Bracca like all of a sudden siding with Greza. Mm -hmm. And I think that if they had just kind of done that, then as viewers, you are more interested in why. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. But like you're invested in like trying to figure out why. And then this way, it just looked kind of sloppy, I think, because of the previous lease. Yeah. But I like your point about the Farscape just kind of throws you in in a lot of the times and expects you to keep up with what's happening. Like there's been many episodes that clearly they've had this other adventure and then where we pick up is like in the midpoint or halfway through or at the end, like a clockwork Nabari, they made an escape and then suddenly they're into a, a new problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they probably could have handled that more gracefully. But at the same time, it's a rather small point for ultimately the rest of the episode, which I think makes it really clear where Bracca stands. So yeah, probably could have gotten away with not doing it. But they guess they had the footage, so they used it. Mm-hmm. So the episode begins with poor Elac and her pilot. And let me just say, I've never felt worse for characters on Farscape than I currently do for poor Elac and her pilot. They are literally on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. You know, Sokozu's like yanking wires out of the walls and poor Rigel keeps like you know, being there and being like, there's nobody here, go back to sleep. And then John keeps bugging them. Anyway, they've dragged them to this planet (laughs) that normally is covered by magnetic storms. But I guess that Jewel, when she left, said, oh, I'm going to go check out this archaeological dig. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there periodically there is a break in the storm that allows the archaeologist, the Interion archaeologist that Jewel used to know and now has rejoined to go for a couple days a week. It's unclear what how long the window is, but we are in the tail end, the last like three or four days of this window of when the storms are clear. 
Mm-hmm. So John and Shiana go down to the planet and they immediately run into Jewel and this security guy who is about to shoot John because he thinks that John is a peacekeeper. Jewel is like really excited about this place. And yeah, and and Dargo is right there too. And they both are actually really excited and they're hugging each other and Jewel and Shiana are kind of having a reunion and John and Dargo are having a reunion. It's kind of fun to see that they're happy to see each other. Yeah, it's like they're friends. <laughs> yeah so i want to play a clip because while that initial happy reunion lasts for a little while chiana is still dealing with being hunted and persecuted and raped and tortured in the time jump and i kind of want to play a clip of jewel not really understanding what's going on with her friend check this out the most important planet in the universe. Jewel, Moya got spat out like a furball. How the hell is that? Stop! That's all I remember. Please, Dugger's going to find the weird old lady and she'll explain what happened. She spoke to Pilot for arms, okay? These sensors are for the magnetics. When it's blue, the levels are safe. Red is bad. Red means don't pack, fly. But this, this is what I was talking about. This is the greatest archaeological discovery of the last 1,000 cycles. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it may not look like much to the untrained eye. My eye's okay, princess. Hey, is that valuable? I'm not sure, but I'll run some tests and check. Nice arm. (laughs) What are you doing? As fantastic as this is. I'll take the tour later. What is her problem? What did I do? Nothing. You did nothing. She just had a rough time away from Moya. I I really like, though, that you kind of can see how the crew is going to get together, and it's going to be really different than any other time we've seen before, because both Jewel and Dargo are, like, super excited about this planet. They have just been having, like, an amazing time on this planet, And Shiana here is, like, so angry that she's, like, lashing out. Like, John was holding this very delicate sculpture thing. And Shiana, like, literally just destroys it after Jewel Mm -hmm. has spent all this time being like, this is an amazing archaeological dig. And so clearly whatever John is holding is valuable because it's, you know, an intact (laughs) sculpture. And Shiana just breaks it. And you can hear there that she is so angry that it really feels like to her that she's the only one that has had to deal with this persecution. Yeah. And during the reunion, you really feel that with Jewel when she's like, oh, isn't this great that you're all here and no one's trying to kill us? And she and Dargo have been safe. And a little bit later, we have Dargo and Chiana's reunion where Dargo says, hey, it's good to see you. And they kind of segue into, well, Dargo and Jewel are kind of hooking up, but how they stay safe. And that was with with Dargo's ship, which can go invisible. And it's, you know, a a powerful thing that has protected them through this whole time. Whereas Chiana and Rigel, when they were out in the universe, they were by themselves in a transport pod, well-known, nowhere to hide. And they got, they got nailed for it. Mm -hmm. And in that conversation with Dargo, you can also really hear that Chiana is, is so frustrated because like Dargo had a great time. Dargo and Jewel mm-hmm. had a great time in the absence. You know, they weren't being hunted. And she, you know, I just her line with him of like, they were always on my tail. How did you get away? And kind of him being like, oh, well, I had the ship. 
you know, I had this magic yeah. ship. And her just that feeling of persecution, that feeling of like constantly being hunted. And then on top of that, it's like he has Jewel, which means that he's completely moved on from Chiana. So kind of the guy yeah. that she still thought she had on the hook a little bit is like off the hook now. And he named his ship after his dead wife. So it's just like rubbing salt into the wound of all the things that Chiana has lost. I mean, I think you can really say, you know, the t episode title is what was lost and it's about this temple, but there's also a little bit of that with the characters themselves too and what they've lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So planet side, John and Jewel meet up with Vela, who is the team leader. And I think her name is like, I think the title is technically Instructor Vela. Yeah. So she's like a college professor type. And mm -hmm. there's a scene later on, I think, where she's showing Jewel how to disarm a trap and has Jewel actually do it. So you can you can definitely see that in her demeanor and her interactions with Jewel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but she does not like outsiders. She really is a good reminder of how far Jewel has come as a character from being like, I am the smartest, I am the best, to being like, oh, everybody else is pretty smart, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You really see that in this interaction that Jewel and Dargo are having, which is like sexy time where they're like cleaning a wall. And then Vela comes up and is like, I think we should just play it because it's like awkward and hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, they aren't actually having sex. They're just kind of like doing the here, I'm going to show you how to use this tool by wrapping my arms around you thing. Do you feel that? Just let the tug of energy tell you. How fast you need to work. Well, I guess Anna Crichton's back. You head off with him again, sir. Yeah. I mean, um, perhaps. I've, uh, being here, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah? Yeah. You know, I think we've really found something here. We should uh, clean it up and show Avella. Stick it up her nose. <laughs> it's a prayer wheel found on every wall in the site. And it would never fit up my nose. Yeah, well, I didn't actually mean that. Now, I... why are you using that? Well, for this. In unskilled hands, a carver can be perilous. You see, Laxon, the process that strips away cycles of age, when it hits living flesh, absorbs a molecular signature of whatever it touches. Thus, that lacquer is now rock. And the lacquer thing that she mentions at the end is a little a bug thing that are all over this place on the planet. Mm -hmm. Basically, it turns into this little little rock, bug rock? Bug mm -hmm. rock. Yeah. It's kind of cool, actually. I really like the concept of, you know, transformation. Mm -hmm. through, with with this tool that ultimately can be used as a weapon, as we'll see later on in the episode, you can you can really hear there her disdain for Dargo, and you can also hear that mm -hmm. you know Jewel and Dargo are just having fun. They're on vacation. You know, they're the college kids that are away at summer. You know, doing an archaeological mm -hmm. dig, and Vela is like a little <laughs> bit uptight about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, she she walks in on on them insulting her, you know, and it's. I also like that 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 Jewel is asking Dargo what his plans are for the future. Mm -hmm. This is like now that Crichton's here, are you guys gonna leave again? And Dargo's like, eh, I don't know, but I've had a lot of fun here with you, and, and you know, this has been great. 
and you know then they're then Bella comes in, but yeah, Bella immediately puts Dargo down. Like it, it's not even subtle. It's not even an attempt to be subtle. She's like, "What are you doing with that? You could hurt yourself because you're stupid. Here, I'll show you how you could hurt yourself." And it's just this whole "Let's pick on you because you're the big lummox" kind of kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So Fella actually pushes it a little further, even because later on she's having a conversation with. Jewel, where essentially she says, hey, you're really smart. Are you going to continue with archaeology after this is all done? And Jewel is like, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but I really want to because I really like this dig. And then Vela like takes the knife and just twists it. And I'm like, what do you have against Dargo? Because she's literally like, you know, Dargo's an idiot and you know, he's going to make mistakes and you know, you're going to get blamed for them. And Jewel is like, yeah, I know. And meanwhile, Dargo is around the corner listening to this whole conversation of Vela basically eviscerating his character just because he's Luxon. And, you know, that's what it is. It's straight up racism or speciesism or however you want to call it in the in the show. But it's like Aterions feel like they're superior and all the, all other races are inferior. And the only thing to do about that is to make fun of them constantly and take them down and basically forbid your students from trying to have friendships across species mm-hmm. or make them as comfortable, uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. And Dargo actually calls Jewel out on it. And I want to play that clip because I find that Dargo and Jewel, their emotional arc is kind of some of the really good meat of this episode. Hey. Hey, what are you doing? Why didn't you stand up for me? Dargo. Most Interions think Luxons are inferior. That's just the way it is. What do you think? Don't ask me that. What do you think? I think... that you're unusual for Luxon. Dargo, you can't blame Vela if she thinks she's smarter than you. No, but I can't blame you. I never believed that any of you cared what I thought. I care. And just so you know, if someone had criticized you or insulted you, called you a stuck-up, arrogant little princess, I'd have defended you. And the thing with that is, with with Dargo, you know, the words he uses, stuck up little princess, you know he's talking about Chiana. And you know that he's saying, I would have defended you, I will defend you against Chiana bad-mouthing you, or anyone else for that matter, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's just kind of heartbreaking, you know? Yeah, it really is, because, like... Dargo thought that they were becoming like really good friends, but then she still has this kind of like classism thing going on. Because even when she's saying, like he's asking her, do you think that Interons are smarter than Luxons? And like you and I have talked extensively <laughs> about what we think about Luxons intelligence, but you know, she, she kind of tries to wiggle out of it by saying, oh, I think you're unusual for Luxon. Which means that she does think that Interons are smarter. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's it's very much a hey, you're the exception to the rule, so I can continue to treat other Luxons as inferior because you are the exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not good thinking, and it's but it's also very typical, you know, of when you have this kind of of systemic thought patterns about other people and other races and other other classes or or whatever. It's like. Once you get to know one, you're like, oh, that one is okay, but it takes time to really learn how to not generalize mm-hmm. to the whole population and say, oh, you know, there's a lot of variety, there's a lot of different people, and they're not still this one block. Yeah. And just because you know one and you have one friend, that that doesn't mean that you can treat the rest of them like crap still. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. So that's Jewel and Dargo's arc for this episode is where it starts with them being very warm and very romantic and very caring about each other. And then it ends at this point where they both are having this realization that, you know, this is their first real, well, I won't won't even say it's their first real fight because they've had fights before, but this is one of those fights that really tells you a lot about the person that you're with. Mm-hmm. You could probably argue that it's their first first fight as a couple, because mm-hmm. I think they've been having a, fl- a fling or romantic sex, all that stuff, while they've been on this sometime later uh, time jump. This is where where reality starts to intrude after the honeymoon period. And we saw this with Chiana and Dargo's relationship, too, where they start to realize who they are and how they are or are not going to change with each other. And, you're, and I think there's something similar is going on here with with. Dargo and Jewel where you're really getting to who they are underneath and though they still care for each other there's still some problems with that that are hard to work through for them yeah yeah so I want to jump to a different plot point which is the sure. Scorpi, Braca, and Greza plot line. Ooh. Our, our circle of villains, something? Yeah, <laughs> the cadre of villains, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I want to give the three of them a name, but I don't know what that name would be. Yeah. Anyway. The triad? I don't know. <laughs> the triad of, of various levels of evil? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but so, okay, I want to... I think I'm going to hold my Greza thoughts until slightly later when we when we hear more about it. But it actually mm-hmm. opens with us finding out that Vela, who theoretically hates peacekeepers, actually is telling Greza and No, no, no. It wasn't. It was an intercepted signal. She was asking for Pilot and Moya. She was sending a message to Pilot and Moya and it got intercepted by by the peacekeepers. Oh. I completely misread yeah. that then. I thought she was contacting <laughs> Greza. No, it was it was she was saying to Pilot and Moya, please come, Crichton is here and he's annoying. Please take him away. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. So anyway, Braca tells Greza about this and then Greza is all like using her power on him, and then they go to see Scorpius. And I wanna play that. And where is Scorpius sitting? But in the Aurora chair. I find your amateur attempts at torture to be quite pleasurable. I could resist it for cycles. Maybe you can, or maybe you can't. But this rod will make it a little more difficult. Don't do this, Bracker. I made you. No, I made you. I think now you will finally tell me all you know about John Crichton. I told you everything about John Crichton! 
getting a taste of his own medicine and liking it. So I think this is confirmation that he's a masochist. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't he also turn his... I, I remember some episode where they explained that he actually turned his pain centers into pleasure centers. Yes. I can't remember which one, but yeah, I think he, he mentioned that at one point. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say it was maybe when Aaron had hold of him for some reason. Anyway... Oh, no, no, no. I think it was in maybe Look at the Princess. Oh, right. That might be it. I don't know. I can't remember, honestly. If anyone can remember out there, let us let us know. Yeah, let us know. But so anyway, he's definitely enjoying this. And then I love that line where he tells Bracca, I made you. And Bracca was like, I made you. Because I think that that's fundamental to Bracca's whole like, like, I don't know, dominant submission kink is that Mm -hmm. like he understands that fundamentally he did everything for Scorpius, but that meant that Scorpius only ever got anything done because of him. Right. And I I think that was something that Crace really understood at the end when he was interacting with Bracca because he understood that Bracca's loyalty was never to him. And I think on some level, he even understood that it was never to Scorpius. It's just to like the larger, more dominant person, like Mm -hmm. whoever the more dominant person is, that's who Bracca is going to be loyal to. I I really like that kind of reversal that they have, the two of them, because, you know, we mentioned this a couple times throughout Bracca's story in season three, where he's like realizing in that he's in too deep with Scorpius and he's going to die or obey and he's going to make sure that he survives by obeying and you know that kind of that back and forth between them you know I think he does get something else out of that relationship with Scorpius with those the dom sub undertones that are there between them but there's also that matter of survival and now as presented in this episode, we have Bracca finding a new Dom in Greza, who has power to get Scorpius out of his control. And so now Bracca has been brought up and Scorpius has been lowered. So now he is in a position of power over him in a way that he seems to be enjoying quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's taking every opportunity to be spiteful, to say spiteful things, to hurt him. So what you can't see on the audio clip is that how they're actually going to torture Scorpius is they take out his his controlling, his cooling rods, they take out his cooling rods and insert a new one in there that destabilizes him. And that actually is what hurts Scorpius and makes Mm -hmm. the Aurora chair effective on him. Yeah. And the other thing I want to get at there is something you kind of pointed out of him really enjoying humiliating Scorpius. Because like I said, it reminds me very, very strongly of his interactions with Krace at the end of season three when they're all on the command carrier. Because mm-hmm. he's really enjoying putting Krace down. He's really enjoying humiliating Krace. And it's that same kind of pleasure you see with Scorpius. And I think mm-hmm. it's just like a really interesting mirror. And it really does kind of go back to what they, again, implied in the in the previous lease, which is that Bracca is always going to expose his throat for the biggest dog that comes around, you know, for mm-hmm. the most alpha, you know, wolf in the pack. And right now, the most alpha is Greza. Greza. Oh my gosh. 
I know we'll probably talk about this a lot during this season, but I really don't like her. And yeah. I also don't respect her the way I respect Scorpius as a villain. And I think the thing that bugs me is that the writers of the show, and I definitely blame the writers of the show, have taken this female villain and made her a femme fatale in this culture, military culture, where you have characters like Eren and Henta and all these, you know, where women are supposed to be equal to men. And yes, Greza is in a position of power, but she's such a sexualized image. She wears this really deep cut uh, shirt that shows off the size of her breasts. It's all so sexualized that I can't unfortunately take her as seriously, even though she's supposed to be this all powerful person. And maybe mm-hmm. not seriously as in her power, but seriously as in my earth brain is like, really? That's what you're going to do with this really awesome character you could have had? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I noticed it most prominently because at the end of season three, when we first meet her, I don't think her shirt is that low cut, number one. It's like the same coloring of like black jacket, white shirt underneath, but her shirt isn't that low cut. And also she doesn't use this whole sexy femme fatale thing. Like Mm -hmm. she's not using it at any point at the end of season three. And then it's like season four rolls around and all of a sudden it's like, it's not even the femme fatale really thing that bugs me. It's the fact that she's literally using sex as power. She's Mm -hmm. using sex as power. And that bugs me because I'm like, you don't have to. You are a general. Use Mm -hmm. power as power. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think what bugs me is for a show that otherwise does a really good job of subverting a lot of cliches with all the characters that they have. In this case, it feels like they don't. And it just it falls flat on its face. And I think because I'm a woman and because of the media environment that we live in and because of, you know, they take somebody who could have been a really cool villain, at least I think she could have been better, and they just put her into this cliche and then let her sit there. And I don't know. It's just it didn't work well for me. And Graza in general for me doesn't work well as a as a villain. She's a villain I love to hate. I don't know if I'm supposed to do that, but it's not like Scorpius where I love to hate Scorpius. Scorpius is so much more interesting. No, I don't even think you love to hate her. Like you loved to hate Grace and you loved to hate Scorpius <laughs> and Graza you just hate. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, okay, that's true. <laughs> like my thing with Graza is that I'm like we have a lot of sexualized women on this show. You have Jewel who literally spends 90% of her time wearing like a leather bustier, you know, like Mm -hmm. pretty sexy. You have Chiana, who literally does use sex for other purposes. I think what gets me at Greza is I I actually want to play this next quote and then kind of go into more of my Greza hate. (laughs) Magnetic pulses surrounding the planet make it impossible for the command carrier to land, but marauders with less sophisticated electronics can make it through. How much longer will the dig site remain habitable? 40 to 50 hours. Closer. Well, that's Chief Scientist Dalek's best estimation, ma'am. No, you. Closer. Down. On your knees. Are there any other vessels near the planet? Just a dead Leviathan in decayed orbit. I'm prepping a squadron now. Closer. Closer. 
Braca, does it bother you what has happened to Scorpius? No. We won't need a squadron. We'll go to the planet together. You and me, three marauders, 20 soldiers. Why? I always assumed John Crichton was just an outlaw. An excuse for Scorpius' mistakes. But he destroyed a command carrier. The Scarens desire him, perhaps. Somehow, I can use him, perhaps. Scorpius' enemy will be my friend. The funny thing about listening to that scene, as opposed to watching it, is I actually hear Grey's dialogue. Does that make yeah. sense? No, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Because during this scene, she is naked in a bath. And granted, they're doing the, you know, it's kind of sudsy, so she's covered. But you're completely distracted, or at least when I was watching it, I was completely distracted by the sexy love potion she swipes off her breast and puts on Braca's face and then suddenly he's trying to kiss her fingers and kiss her neck and all this other stuff that's completely distracting away from the dialogue yeah I think you're right and that's exactly what I'm getting at because here her dialogue is like I always assumed you know it's good dialogue it's showing that she's strategic is showing that maybe she wants to use John for like a purpose but then what you're actually seeing on screen is so like it's just so something. Do you know what I mean? It's rapey is what it it's is. It's really, really rapey. <laughs> it's really rapey. And I think we're supposed to hand wave it because it's like, oh, it's a woman and she's sexy. And I'm like, no, it's gross and rape. Like, this is Braca. You do not need to push Braca that hard to be your lap dog. You do mm-hmm. not need to give him love potion number nine for him to, like, want to lick your boots, you know? Yeah. And then the other thing I want to get at is it isn't even just that she's sexy. It's that she literally has sex potion in her boobs. You know what I mean? And then I'm kind of like, what? I'm like, in the peacekeepers, where they frown upon half-breeds, you know, other species, anything that's out of the ordinary, any sort of deformities, you know, like any sort of any sort of difference in people, that we have this super, super high-rated commander, like, this incredibly high commander that, like, got love potion put in her boobs, and, like, that's how she's getting her power. I'm like, she's supposed to be a strategic... I'm actually just going to stop here, because (laughs) otherwise I'm going to spend the rest of the podcast talking about how irritating I find it that when they finally do a female villain, it's like this. And this is not the first time that they've done it, because... If it was just the alien in the bank robbery episodes where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, female villains. Natira. Yeah, Natira. If it was just Natira, we're like, ooh, female villain, super sexy. I'm like, okay, I can move on from that. You know, like like one in a slew of. But it's like, honestly, we don't have that many female villains. And then you have to make them super sexy and rapey and using their boobs as control mechanisms. Yeah. I'm not actually sure the show wants us to hand wave away the rapiness because of of where this goes next with Greza and John in particular. 
But at the same time, I completely agree with everything that you're saying, just because it's, it's so, I don't know, it's, why, why, I guess is what it is. Why couldn't you have done something different instead of backsliding to this? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, ah, give me a, give me a Zalek soon. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As like the higher up who's like, by the book and like the reason that she hates John Crichton is for exactly the same reason because they're outlaws and they're making the PKs look bad and you know like give me somebody that's like Crace from season one but like less crazy you know somebody that's just like (laughs) you know strategically going after John with no emotions involved do you know what I mean yeah or you could have emotions involved but don't make them be all about you know, like her emotional state, I actually don't mind because as you heard in that dialogue, she's just going through like the reasons why she's doing this and they make sense. They're like dialogue only. It's great. But then she has to throw in this whole, let's see what Rocka really thinks about Scorpius thing and let's do it by, you know, smearing his face with this love potion. And it's just, it, it detracts way more than it adds, yeah. in my opinion. So, as you heard, Graza and Braca go down to the planet. But meanwhile, down on the planet, the old woman has been talking to John for a really long time. And she's gone a little more off the deep end than she even was. Like, she's a little more out of it than she was even before. Because apparently she's also been sniffing the little insects, <laughs> which give you a high. Yeah. The whole th- plot with the old woman actually gets to the world building that I referenced when I- in my opening. Because... We're at this temple. It's this archaeological dig of this temple. And the first conversation that John and the old woman have is very much her just talking and throwing words out. And it's really hard to understand. And she's worried about what they are, the archaeologists, the Vela and the other guys are finding. Because what happened, what destroyed this temple and why there's no people left living on this planet and why there's these magnetic storms is an enemy of peace because it was a peaceful priest and temple. And it's like, you know, these priests maintained a peace between the Scarens and the peacekeepers for 500 generations. That's why it's so significant. And then suddenly one day they all disappeared. We get this exposition from Jewel. And what happened was um, this probe came down from enemies of peace. We don't know who it was and split into three pieces. So there's these three pieces. And that's what brought the magnetic storm. It disrupted whatever the planet's protection was from the storms. But suddenly there's all these magnetic storms. And the old woman in one of her rambles is like, Why are, where are the bones? Like, where are the bones of all the people who supposedly died here? Because there's no bones. John doesn't care. Okay, let's say that right away. John just wants to get back to Pilot and go find Aaron. That is the only thing he cares about. And at one point, she offers the bugs that she's getting high off of to John and says, hey, this will make you forget Aaron and everything for about 500 microts. It's great. Solve all your problems. John's like, no, thanks. So the old woman is worried about Vela, who has found two of these three pieces of the probe called the Darnaz Triangle. And she's worried that this thing that can cause magnetic storms will be used as a weapon on other people. And she's like, at all costs, we have to keep this out of their hands and not let this third piece of the of the probes, the third probe, be found at all. And so she's enlisting John's help in this. And um, I want to play a clip here, which encapsulates kind of the wackiness of the old woman, who I kind of love, and also what she's talking about. Crichton, he's arrested me. 
and so Oh, yo, yo, hey, no need, for, no need for guns. The old lady told me how you planned to stop us. I didn't plan to do anything. He's one of the defilers. They lie. They will not use the probes for good. Kill him. No. Bella may not fear you, but I know you're their leader. I've heard about you. Get him, Crichton. I helped you. I showed you error. You didn't show me squat. Sit. Just sit. Listen to me, yep. I don't even know this old lady's name. She came on board her ship like a really bad smell that won't go away. I'm not a threat to you. I just want Moya to come back so I can get the hell out of here. That's it. Except one thing. Do not point guns at people! That's right! Hit him again! Now! Oh, go on, right? Let me show you. Like this. And... <gasps> See? What the hell are you doing? Why are you telling me to shoot people? Because you have to. Bella will take the Darnas probes oh, and use them as a weapon. Why do you think she sent the rest of the Dig team away? I have no idea. There was peace here once. You must see what was lost here. I can't let this happen anywhere else. <gasps> I love the old woman so much. Anyway, we probably didn't need to listen to all of that. But the point being is like she's going to show John what peace was like before here at the temple. And you don't actually know quite how she's going to do that. But she 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 blows herbs like she did all over in uh, Dog with Two Bones into his face. And then he gets this vision of the priests at the temple and they're like in red and they're sacrificing a goat-like thing. And he sees a little toy on the ground that's a children's tile or something and it has symbols on it. And so he's he actually has this vision of this place as it was. And, and when he comes back, he's underwater in this like sea creature thing I don't know what's going on with the sea creature, honestly. Like, we saw it early in the episode. It just kind of, like, this this menacing threat. And then suddenly it's, like, the old woman knows who it is and is working with it and or him. And he talks to John and then says, the old woman's going to go kill Vela. And oh, this is why this episode is so confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We have no explanation who the monster from the Black Lagoon is. Nobody else seems to care that he's there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, they presented him initially as kind of, like, menacing because he, like, appears out of the water. And then he's just, like, a dude who's there. <laughs> yeah, and then he's just, like, there. And no one is like, oh, this is so-and-so, you know? It, which is, like, I don't know. It's hilarious. And I can kind of <laughs> see from John's perspective as to, like, why he literally just does not care because he spends all of this episode just trying to get back on Moya. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's hilarious. Yeah, and you could kind of... Kind of hear it in that clip that we just play with him being like, I don't know who she is, really. I don't really care. I just don't point guns at me, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I like your point about that kind of being her throughout this episode. Is she is so obsessed with peace. And she has like a lot of kind of recurring themes throughout this episode of like peace through sacrifice and like just kind of or peace requires sacrifice. And just sh that's kind of the message. And I think that this is an interesting starting point for the season because of where it ends up going, especially well into Peacekeeper Wars, but mm -hmm. um, is kind of this idea of sacrifice and peace and peace being worth it. And maybe John not even being able to see what peace would look like because at this yeah. point the universe is so negative and dark. So she ends up taking the gun and she's going to go shoot Vela 
But meanwhile, Dargo is also kind of walking around and he finds that thing that was cleaning rocks. And then he walks in and he sees Vela and like Vela is turned into a rock. And we don't yeah. really ever know who did it or dun dun dun. We get a little bit of first person view of Vela's death scene and that's it. And so then we so then everybody's there and they're like, what happened? We don't know what happened. And the only person missing is the old woman. So that's the implication that she was the one who did it, even though she had a pulse pistol and not the rock turning into thingy, the tool. Mm hmm. Um, it's about at this point that the peacekeepers arrive. Is that right? Yep. And Sokozu, okay. they capture everybody pretty easily. But Sokozu, who has heard that they were coming because she modified John's module, which he's not going to be happy about. She heard that they were coming and she goes down to the planet to warn them. She and Rigel have some fun interactions over this episode, but it's just kind of essentially placeholding, I think. It's very minor just to keep keep on track of what they're doing but they're up on the ship on elac mm -hmm. and so sokozu goes down to the planet runs into dargo and she says you know essentially stop using your comms the peacekeepers are here and at this point i think chiana and john have been captured mm -hmm. and then greza shows up and greza brings it's like this real weird scene um <laughs> It's really weird. I kind of suggest you watch it. Um, yeah. Basically, basically, Brocko walks Scorpius in on a leash and he's crawling and then they kind of hit him over the head and he's still got that bad control rod in his head or cooling rod in his head that it, you know, robs him of his motor functions. And he licks the bottom of Graze's shoe and Graze is like, look, John, I tamed Scorpius for you. Don't want you want to be my friend? That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what happens. And then Chiana gets hit because she's mouthy. And then Graza does the magic boob sweat thing to John. And then he kisses her because of the magic boob sweat. And it's really awkward and rapey and gross. And meanwhile, Scorpius is groveling and, you know... John's like, well, kissing you is better than and than anything that Scorpius ever did to me. So how much of that is under the influence of the boob sweat? Yeah, yeah. it's super skeevy and gross. And there's actually something I want to mention, which is that Graza is like, look, do whatever you want to Scorpius. And after having watched Scorpius like lick Graza's boot, he essentially is like, there's nothing I could do that would top this. And you yeah. can tell that, like, I think there there obviously still is animosity in between John and, and Scorpius. But I also think that it's – John is not a torturer. Mm -hmm. John was never against Scorpius because he hated him or he wanted him to suffer. And so I think that this is kind of like one of those scenes that's beyond the pale for John, you know? Yeah. And you can also kind of see that in Ben Brown's portrayal. Like, he's never looking at Greza in the eye. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of looking away, keeping his eyes on the wall in front of him. And he's kind of sneaking looks to the side at Scorpius as this whole thing is going down. And when Greza comes over, he's very submissive about it all. And it's just, I don't know, it just struck me as, as interesting because it very much feels like he knows he's at her mercy. Mm -hmm. And if she can make Scorpius do her bidding like that, degraded like that, I don't know. It's also this sexual overtone of puppy play or something like that where, you know, here's this person who is being humiliated and forced to walk like a dog kind of mm -hmm. stuff going on. 
it's not overtly sexual, obviously, but they're with all, you know, all of that is kind of implied. Yeah. Well, with like all the Braca Scorpy stuff, it's definitely like, yeah, it's there. Yeah. There's something it's, it's, there. There's something there. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to watch John be forced to, you know, this drug affecting him to kiss Graza and all of that as well. And, well, and then him being forced to have sex with her. Yeah, and that's going to be the next scene that we get to. And that's another really awful thing to scene to watch because, you know, Graza puts a gun just in his reach and he reaches for it, but he doesn't pick it up because he's under the influence and ultimately submits to her. And, I mean, what's really heartbreaking is the aftermath of that when the old mm-hmm. woman comes back in. So Chiana and Jewel and the old woman are in prison. And we find out a little bit more about what uh, John found while he was out. After his vision, he actually found the children's tile that has several symbols. It's a symbol of peace. And one of those symbols is like the Eye of Ra, Egyptian, from Earth. And he recognized it. And he's like, what? And that'll become more explored, I think, in the next episode and later on. But so the old woman escapes and goes to talk with him and he's his body language is closed off he's hunched over it's like this very protective shell of john and it's just it, he feels like looking at him he feels like you can see the hurt that just happened with yeah this basically rape of him that Graza does yeah i think it's very explicit it's supposed to be very explicitly post-rape like he's hugging himself he's protecting himself it's and you know it's also just in his demeanor she comes to talk to him and i want to play their conversation because they're on two separate planes like john is just dealing with the fact that he's been violated and she has a completely different she's focused on something completely different never been real before what are you doing here old woman In the vision I enhanced, you saw a tile, a child's tile. Yeah, just like the one I found. What did you do to me? Must be the magnetics. Pushes the vision further. Somehow this suggested it turned real. Does Grazer know you saw the Darnes probes? No. Good. I have seen the carnage weapons of mass destruction bring. For Vela to have had one was awful to consider. But the peacekeepers, they must never have it, Crichton. Do you know where the final probe landed? Yeah. This is my fault. I wanted only to show you the peace they had achieved. You know, I wanted to only show you the piece that they had, and then she blows the dust in his face again mm-hmm. to make him hallucinate to jump over the cliff. Yeah, so you can hear there that there's two separate things going on. She is really concerned about these weapons falling into anybody's hands, and you can hear it there when she's talking about weapons of mass destruction, and she's talking about how no one should have it, much less the peacekeepers, which is something that John has struggled with for three seasons of, mm-hmm. you know, the peacekeepers having 
wormhole weaponry. And so I think that this episode, despite being what I kind of think is a somewhat flawed episode, I think it really sets up these overarching themes for season four, which are peace and at what cost. And then also, again, with the weapons, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you mentioned about the two of them being on different planes during this conversation, you have the old woman monologuing and you have John giving one or two word answers, you know, very short answers to it. And then, you know, he gets violated again because the old woman for the second time this episode is blowing drugs in his face to make him hallucinate. And then in this case, it's a case where she's making the priests from the vision turn on him and basically chase him off a cliff which is the cliffhanger ha 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 that <laughs> we are left with at the end of this episode where he's jumping off a cliff driven off by these hallucinations so mm-hmm. john gets a really raw deal <laughs> pretty much he really does yeah you have to feel badly for him because essentially he just wants to find Aaron <laughs> and right. instead he gets raped and he gets tortured again and then he's driven off a cliff. Yep. So so that's that was fun. <laughs> I think there's a lot of good little elements to this episode, but I think having talked through it with you and having read an episode summary, which I did after watching it, and having watched it again for the first time in many years, it's just there's a lot of elements that are that are are confusing about it. And mm-hmm. it's just I think I've got a handle on what's happened now. And I hope we have helped you listeners if you were confused during this episode, kind of straighten <laughs> out some of that. But there's a lot going on. And I think you're right. There's a lot of setup for season four thematically that happens in this episode. We have this the temple and the priest that disappeared, and we'll get some resolution for that next episode. But these themes, weapons, war, peace. What is Grazer willing to do for peace? What is John willing to do for peace? Where do wormholes fall into all of this? Because wormholes are not going away. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's yeah. the episode. Yeah, I think that, I think my problems with this episode are are mostly Greza focused, but also just structurally focused. Yeah. Because it's a very uneven episode. There's a lot of talking and there's a lot of confusing. And like we said, they just there are some plot points that are just like introduced <laughs> and then <laughs> they just don't go anywhere with them. Like the like this mysterious sea creature <laughs> that no one talks <laughs> about or mentions. And it's like I I kind of almost wonder if, like, the sea creature was, like, a leftover from a different, like, if they'd initially scripted this episode differently, Mm -hmm. and then through rewrites, they changed it to something that looks more like this, but then they kept the sea creature, because honestly, he adds nothing to the episode. Yeah, he's just kind of there. Yeah, he's just kind of there. We'll see next episode if there's any resolution for why the sea creature is there, Mm -hmm. and we'll find out what happens next. Mm-hmm. So what would you give this episode? Eh, I don't know, like a three. It, it's not like, actually, I don't know, like a 2.5. Because I think that it's yeah. not a bad, it's not an awful episode. It's not like a one or a zero for me. But mm-hmm. there's just so much that I don't like about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go with you on the 2.5. I don't think it's, it's, it's not rock solid. Like what we usually try and give a three is it's not outstanding, but it's rock solid. And I think this falls below that just for the, a lot of important exposition is just so darn confusing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause like I said, I mean, while I don't mind Farscape's habit of like dropping you in the middle of somewhere and then just like 
we're expected to figure our way out. I had so many questions about the Scorpius Greza stuff. I'm like, how did they get off the command carrier? <laughs> Whose command carrier are they on now? Where are they? Why are yeah. they still chasing John Crichton? It seems like Greza seems like the sort of person that would have sent somebody else to do that work. Right. And for me, the confusing parts I felt were with a lot of the old woman's exposition with like, because she's trying to explain like all this temple stuff, but they're writing her in a way where she's kind of incoherent. And so that doesn't serve the story very well. Mm -hmm. And like, I love, I love her and I love the scenes with her. But at the same time, there's that little bit of, wait, what's happening? What are these probes? Where are they? Why do we care? What happens if they come back together? Mm-hmm. Isn't activating them what caused the problem in the first place? So we don't want to activate them again. But now, anyway, anyway, it's just like that kind of thing. So I would go also with a two point five for for clarity's sake. You know, mm-hmm. everything else is great, and I love the emotional stuff and the character stuff with Dargo and Jewel and Chiana and Jewel and and all of that, and even John's arc through uh, throughout this, where he just you know he gets hammered again. It's that's all fine. It's just the plot part. And because it does become important later, spoiler, mm-hmm. it becomes important later. <laughs> I feel like that's that's something that's not well served. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Next week, we have What Was Lost Part 2. Resurrection. Resurrection. The thrilling conclusion. I actually can't really remember much about it besides one or two things. So it'll okay. be good to see it after after this one. So we are Farscape Friday podcast at Tumblr, DreamWith, and at gmail.com. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter, and you can contact us any of those places. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.